Gordon MacDonald, some of you may know the name, others of you may not, has written several wonderful, wonderful books, and one of them is called Ordering Your Private World, an excellent book. In that book, he tells the story in chapter 2 of the chapter titled The View from the Bridge. The View from the Bridge. He said, a close friend was once an officer aboard the United States Navy nuclear submarine. He related to me an experience that happened one day while the sub was on duty in the Mediterranean. Many ships were passing overhead and on the surface, and the sub was having to make a large number of violent maneuvers to avoid possible collision. In the absence of the captain, my friend was duty officer. He was in charge of giving the command by which the sub was positioned at each moment. Because there was such a sudden and unusual amount of movement, the captain who had been in his own quarters suddenly appeared on the bridge asking, Is everything all right? Yes, sir, was my friend's reply. The captain took a quick look around and then started back out through the hatch to leave the bridge. As he disappeared, he was heard to say, it looks all right to me too. Gordon MacDonald says, the simple routine encountered between the naval uh, commander and the one trusted officer provided me with a helpful picture of the order in one's private world. All around that sub, potential dangers of collision was, was lurking. It was enough to make an alert captain show concern. But the danger was outside, deep inside. The sub was quiet, where there could be absolute control. And there was where the captain instructive, instructively headed. In that center of command, there was not an ounce of panic, only a calm and deliberate series of actions being carried out by a highly trained crew doing their job. Now, this is where I wanted to get to. Thus, when the commander appeared on the bridge to assure himself that everything was in order, it was all right. And it was. He asked the question because of the sudden jerk. It looks all right to me too, in spite of what's going on. That is how the captain organized his sub. The appropriate procedures were practiced thousands of times when there was no danger. Thus, when it was time to put into action in that precarious situation, there was no need for panic. He could anticipate an excellent performance from the people on the bridge. When things are in order, the sub is secure no matter what external circumstances. The captain will always say, it looks good to me too. When things are in order, when there was no subs all around them, they were practicing what happened 
when there were subs, when there were ships and, and boats that, that are interfering with the progress of the sub, they knew precisely what to do because they were practicing it. They were familiar with what is to be done. One of the things I, I, I learned, having lived in Canada for so long a time, is that most people, when they get on ice, they will try and protect themselves from sliding by applying the brakes. And that's the worst thing to do. In fact, there are some people who don't even know that the, the easiest way to prepare for driving on ice is to drop into neutral. I'm not telling you what someone told me. I'm telling you what I have done. When you drop into neutral, immediately your vehicle becomes more controllable. Be that as it may, this is be far from me to tell you how to operate a car. What this text is telling us is that for the Christian, if you are going to be successful in the evil day, you better be prepared having done your homework, having done what is necessary so that, that when the ships in your life when there are jolting, when there are maneuvers that, that you planned for, are prepared for, you don't plan when they happen, they simply happen. You are prepared. And so when the captain of our lives look down and say, is everything okay? We can say to him, it is okay. And he will say, I think it's okay too. But why? This is what we want to go into this morning the Apostle Paul in verse 14 makes an assumption. Look at what he says in, in, in verse 14. Therefore, stand firm, having, past tense, having girded. You did what was necessary. Your preparation was completed. You are in the position now that whenever the evil day comes, we are not going to be told when the evil day comes. It will happen. Sometimes suddenly. Unexpected. But if you have prepared yourself, you will stand. It's interesting that the first three armors given are all prepared for past tense. Having girded. With truth. Having girded with righteousness, having girded, it's all past tense so that there are certain things as far as the armor is concerned that must be prepared for before the battle comes. There's a very interesting, I think, illustration of this in the first chapter of the book, or the second chapter of the book of Daniel. When Daniel was taken to Babylon, before he became involved in the Babylonians' culture, he determined in his heart that he would not eat the king's food. He didn't, he didn't make the decision when he had to eat it. He made the decision before that time comes so that when the, when the time came, he was prepared as to how he would respond. Many of us are so unprepared for the evil day 
that we fall to pieces when that happens because we're not prepared. John reminded us this morning of the scriptures and its part. I had to smile. I'm quite sure Janelle was smiling and perhaps uh, Randa and David were because that was our study this morning in our class. The, the inspiration of God's word and the revelation of God's word and what that word is intended to do. So, what part of our lives, as we shall see, all I want you to see this morning is the preparation must be made. Friends, we cannot, we cannot expect to experience victory over the day of evil if we are not prepared with what is needed for it. I cannot tell you how important that is. That is why Jesus took the disciples that they might be with him before he sent them out. Being with him was the preparation. Being with him was how they were being made adequate for what was to take place. Missed the preparation and we're not assured of victory. Please note again, as I said, they were, they were, they were prepared. They did it. Warren Wordsby, in his little book, What to Wear to the War, says, In the culture of that day, both men and women, including soldiers, wore a flowing robe. When they wanted to move rapidly, they would gather the robes around them, tuck it under uh, in the girdle, so that they could uh, proceed unencumbered. The Christian must prepare his or her mind also. According to 1 Peter 1.13, the Christian must prepare his mind for we read, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. So here was the soldier then. And, and I'm so thankful. Uh, I, I told someone the other day that, I mean, I could have been born in 1800 um, or 1700 and I, I was not, thankfully, because I tell you, I would hate to have to wear a collar. I mean, I would hate to be walking on the street and people see that call and say, good morning, Reverend Thurton. Oh, my word, that would just drive me insane, I think. But, my, you know, there is something unique about that. Because that collar says something about who that person represents. Well, in the spiritual sense, my friends... When we have, as a soldier put on his tunic and his clothes and and he he gets all the the parts, he has to put a belt on and the belt would keep together everything that he has to put on because he put on a lot more than I have to put on. And so that belt was to assure that when it was time for action, they could actually apply the use of that belt by putting the pieces under the, 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 uh, the belt that was around them. So Paul tells us, uh, Peter tells us, our minds must be girded with truth. That's why he began with truth. We'll look at that in a moment. That's why he's telling us that the Christian life is that day by day you prepare yourself with spiritual intake from God so that when you go out and you face the evil day, you can give spiritual outtake to it. 
And you cannot give out what you do not have in. It's only as you take it in, you can give it out. So we're told then, the preparation was completed. But I want you to see again, the precise covering. Therefore, having girded your loins, the loins was put in the middle. The middle held up everything. Everything consisted in what, what, what was there. Everything that I needed was put on, and then the girdle would come around and tie there. So Paul uses that illustration to say, in the same way, the middle section, which is the center, must be girded with the right kind of, law, of, 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 of a girdle. And the girdle he's going to use, the, the right piece to, to keep all the garments in place here, all the spiritual preparations, is, Paul says, truth. Truth. Your life, no matter, no matter what happens, no matter where it comes from, you have the truth of God by which you appeal to, and then we'll look at this later on. The truth of God is what we appeal to because that is what keeps everything in place for you and for me. That's the source of our response to everything in life. The truth of God. Not the opinions of men. Not the culture. We are supposed to influence the culture with truth, not to allow our truth to be influenced by the culture. I'll bring some notes to you next week, Lord's willing. Well, week after, next week is communion. And so what is happening even in the Christian church from the pulpits today, where we are told that if, if, if times are changing, and they are, we must also change the Word of God to keep up with the times. Uh, dear friends, I'll tell you why that is foolish. Time is temporal. God's truth is eternal. God doesn't catch up with the times. The times catch up with, with, with the Bible. Read, read 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy 2, uh, 3. We were reading it this morning. Paul talks about, about the tremendous upheaval in culture and society. And in the midst of that, he said to Timothy, But you, my son, you know that my teaching is able to lead you, give you wisdom that leads to salvation, and all Scripture is given to actually confront the errors and the sin and the debauchery of time. No matter what it is. And, and we will see this. I won't say a lot about it, but what is the armor that we are going to gird ourselves with? What is the armor that we will tuck the, the, the challenges of time under as we face them? Paul says, you are to gird yourself, put it all around you with truth. <laughs> with truth. I wanted to call one of my friends yesterday and, and in, in Toronto, but I didn't have the time. I wanted to say, guess what? I was listening to the news this morning, and Rob Bell's name was not mentioned. Rob Ford's name was not mentioned. I, Rob Bell. Lawrence and I were talking with him. Because even, I, I, I can't, 
understand why the whole American media is taken up with Rob Ford. This man who lied through his teeth. Is truth important? Is truth necessary for a society to give balance and beauty to itself? This is why Paul is beginning with truth. We, we, we be, our Christian life, my friends, if God's word is not true, then we are wasting our time. The worst lie that anyone can tell is a religious lie. A lie that promises something, not only for time, but for eternity, and it turns out to be nothing but a lie. So Paul says, have yourself girded with truth. And I want to deal with this for the rest of the time before we even get to back to it. In the 18th chapter of the book of John, Jesus is at a very crucial time in his life. And he's taken to be interrogated by Pilate. And Jesus made the statement concerning why he was on earth. And Pilate, whether it is cynicism, whether it is indifference, nobody knows. But he asked a crucial question. And by the way, he didn't wait for the answer, just in case you're thinking about it. He asked the question, what is truth? Supposing I ask you that question this morning, I wonder what answer I would get. What is truth? We want to investigate that this morning. Pilate didn't know what truth was because truth did not exist in Pilate's world. Interesting enough, he was he was a politician. I heard, heard the story of a family who gave birth to a young son. And they wanted to know what the son was going to be, so they put a Bible, a bottle of liquor, and some money. And said, whichever one he chooses, that's what he's going to become. And so they were waiting for the decision of this boy. And he stretched his arms out, put his arms around all three and took it. And the parents said, no, he's going to be a politician. <laughs> Malcolm Mugridge. If you're not familiar with him, he's now dead. But he was well known in his day as one of Britain's top journalists, especially during the Second World War. Mugridge became a Christian. He became a Christian in the midst of the most atheistic, debauchery kind of lifestyle he was living. I won't even get into that this morning. But it's interesting that the person that opened his eyes to Christianity was someone one would least expect. Her name is Mother Teresa. And Mugridge wrote Teresa and said, there are too many hypocrites in the church, and on and on, which is the standard statement uh, uh, response. And Teresa wrote back to Mugridge and said, 
my dear friend, if you want to see the truth of Christianity, you've got to go higher than the followers of Christianity. You've got to go to Jesus. You're looking at the followers of Jesus, and there are flaws with them. But look at Jesus, and Mugridge did, and became a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He had some, some really interesting ideas, but we won't get into that. But listen to what he says about truth. Even so, truth is very beautiful. More so, I consider that uh, than justice, which easily puts on a false face. In nearly every, I'm sorry, in nearly seven decades I have lived through the world, the world has overflowed with bloodshed, explosions, whose dust has never had time to settle before others were erupted. All purposely for just cause. The quest for justice continues and the weapons and the hatred pile up. But truth was the early casualty. The lies on behalf of which our wars have been fought, our peace treaties concluded. The lies of the revolution and the counter-revolutions. The lies of advertising Oh, I tell you, this one is one that really hits home for me. I, I remember hearing a, a, an ad that says, we are, we, are, <laughs> we are promoting this product. And 5,000 people say it's okay. And 5,000 people can't be wrong. Huh. And, and I think we buy into some of those commercials because some of them are even telling you what the outcome will be in some of the outcome, I, I always wondered about that. You're going to have headaches, you're going to have earache, you might even die. I think if I'm going to die, why am I going to buy that product? You know, I'm supposed to die without it. But the lies, it's built on lies. But listen, Margaret goes on. The lies of advertising, of news, of salesmanship, of politics, the lies of the priest in the pulpit the professor at his podium, the journalist at his, you can tell when this was written, typewriter. <laughs> the lies, I love this, this phrase, the lie stuck like a fishbone in the throat of the microphone. The hand-held lies of the prowling cameraman. Listen to this. When he was a member of the old community, some stratagem was under discussion, and a delegate, a newcomer who had never attended before, made the extraordinary observation that if such and such statement were to be put out, it wouldn't be true. There was a moment of dead silence. And then they all began to laugh. They laughed, and they laughed until tears ran down their cheeks I'm not going to say where, it, where this was taking place because it could take place anyway, any place. The same laughter echoes in every council chamber and cabinet room where two or more are gathered together to exercise authority. It is truth 
that has died, not God. It is truth that has died, not God. My friends, is, is that not true? I won't say much about this right now because this is, I'm, we're dealing with what is truth. And, 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 and please don't shoot me, I'm just a messenger. When the leader of a nation has to get up and say, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, and then in the same breath says, I never said that. And then he has to turn around and say, I said that. How can you trust? And I'm talking not only of, of politicians, my friends, I can say that of a pastor as well. So we must ask the question, what is truth? Please listen. Truth is that which is real. Truth is that which is real. And it is said in no other way. So the truth does not creep up on you. Truth must correspond to reality. When I was a child, the two things that I used to, I used to remember saying, and I lived, I literally lived, <laughs> there's a pot of gold at the end of every rainbow. I tell you, I lived to get the end of a rainbow. I really did. I was, the country in which I was born was a poor country. Who wouldn't want a pot of gold? But I believed that. But I'm going to tell you something as I believed as a, as a young child. I don't know where it came from. But I lived with an idea, because I heard it among adults, that if someone kills you, you go to heaven and they go to hell. So I lived for someone to kill me. I did. Because I wanted to go to heaven. Listen to what I'm saying, friends. Because someone can say it doesn't make it true. See, this is what we're dealing with today. You have people who can say certain things. And Pilate heard it all. And when Jesus said to him, I am of the truth, Pilate said, well, what is truth? Truth is whatever works for me at the time when I need it. And we will see later on that this is not the Bible's idea of truth. When you gird yourself with truth, your lifestyle becomes consistent with that truth. Listen to this. When we think of truth, we've got to ask ourselves not only what it is, we must ask another question. Where is it? Where is it? Again, John 18, 37. Jesus is speaking to Pilate in answer to the question when he said, when, when Pilate was concerned about truth, Jesus said to him, for this cause I came into the world to bear witness of the truth. Reality. It's not, not, a, not something that was pre-proposed to me by my culture, not even by my parents. Not, not, not the schools I went to. 
Truth must come under the scrutiny of what is real and what is revealed. We'll see that again next week. In the Bible then, truth is the self-disclosure of God in His Son, who is the personification of truth. It may, it, 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 the word is used in different ways as we shall see. But what truth must do, truth must answer to reality. So when Jesus spoke, he doesn't only speak of what is expressed, but he speaks of what is real. And we can bank on it. When the disciples on the road to Emmaus were asking questions about the fact that Jesus was dead now. Jesus says, why didn't you believe the scriptures when it said, I will rise again on the third day? The resurrection is a reality because it was predicted by him who cannot lie. Truth, my friends, is absolutely vital. Because a society that is built on lie means that you're in a society where no one trusts anyone or anything. What is truth? Truth corresponds, my friends, to reality. It's the expression of that which is consistent with what is real and what is verifiable. I can prove it because. So where is truth then? Jesus said, For this reason I have come into the world to bear witness of the truth. So, truth is first of all objective. Truth is not subjective. Truth is not based upon unreality. It is based upon that which is real. And Jesus said, I have come into the world to bear witness. If Jesus had to come into the world, not to identify truth, but to bear witness of the truth, it means, my friends, that truth is not to be found in the creative you will not find that in people. We speak truth because we can't help it. But for most of us, when you know, you know one of the things that has really been disturbing to me, and I, I know it because I saw it, that during the, the typhoon in the Philippines, that one of the things that people are doing, they're walking, running over one another, Shoplifting. Uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable that people are suffering. And in the midst of the suffering, I can violate my conscience by approaching something that belongs to someone else because I want it. Or, if you please, I need it. See, we must have something far greater than ourselves in which to, to believe, in which to trust. Because, my friends, when it comes down to it, when we are put in a corner, when it's me or you, I say goodbye to you. Truth does not, does not, does not make any sense to me when it's going to go against what might happen to me. Jesus said, I have come to bear witness to the truth not simply to give testimony, but to reveal it, because it is nowhere to be found 
in all of human history. The first lie in human history is that God is a liar. That's what Satan said to Adam and Eve. That's the first lie in history. And it was a lie against the truth. So, so, so truth then, where it is found? Truth is found, first of all, my friends, in God. In God. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16. Is that he who serves in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. So God is the standard for human truth. Not Confucius, not Plato, not Aristotle. And those names have been ringing through my mind all morning. Listen to Psalm 34, uh, 33, 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord is right. And all his work is done in truth. Why is this? Why is all God's work done in truth? Because, my friends, everything upon what we see and taste and touch has been ordered by God for a purpose, and if I dismiss God from it, I can abuse it, misuse it, or destroy it. I'm going to tell you why Truth is with God. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. The reason truth can be found only in God, Titus chapter 1 verse 2, is because God cannot lie. God cannot lie. Not that God won't lie. That's what politicians make. I won't lie to you. Then they do. But God cannot lie. There is no untruth in God. When we say that God cannot lie, it means, my friends, that if God ever lies, he would be denying who he is. Because God is truth. He's the God of truth. All his works are done in truth and in reality. And if I ever come to the place where I found that God lied to me, then if you cannot trust God, who or whom can you trust? I labor this point, my friends, because the problem we're facing today, not only in the secular world, but even in the religious world, where they're claiming that truth does not exist. That, that truth is, is relative. Well, let me quickly close. Truth is not only objective. It's not in me, it's not from me, it's not from any man. Jesus came into the world because it wasn't in the world. He didn't come to identify with truth that existed. He came to reveal truth in its reality. But quickly, truth is exclusive. Not only objective, it is exclusive. Jesus made that statement that is still being challenged by religious people today. I am the way, the truth. God is called truth in Psalm 33. The Holy Spirit is called truth in John 14. Jesus says he is the truth. What does he mean by that? 
Jesus, when he said, I am the truth, is saying, not only do I speak what is truth, but who I am produces what is truth. So that Jesus is going to tell us about God, my Father in heaven. And when he told us about everything Jesus tells us about God is true, he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. I was thinking of that. India has 330 million deities. 330 million deities. Which one do you believe? You might believe one over here, but there's still 299 million still over there. I think that is correct, is it? Truth is exclusive. Let me say something else about the exclusiveness of truth. Christianity is somewhat condemned for being exclusive, being narrow-minded, as they call it. But trek every religion of the world, friends, every religion, and every religion has its non-negotiable. Every religion. And our non-negotiable is the person of Jesus Christ. Because he came into the world to bring truth so that we can bank. Paul said, my whole future is based upon what Jesus said, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So that the thief on the cross, when Jesus said, you will be today with me in paradise, that was the truth, and it was real, because where Jesus is going is where truth exists. Imagine if he went on the other side and it wasn't so. Imagine. Let me close with this. Because Jesus claims the exclusiveness of truth, by claiming to be the truth, Jesus implies that all that he affirms is true and nothing is false. When Jesus said, I am the truth and I am the way, everything that Jesus affirms must correspond to reality. Everything he denies must correspond to reality as well. So that, so that, and I close with this. When Jesus said, I am the way, I came to, to reveal truth. By saying that he is the truth, he's saying that anything that contradicts me is a lie. Is a lie. And so we can sing with the hymn writer. My faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' word and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Nothing to compare to it. When Paul is talking about truth, he's talking about the lifestyle of those who have girded themselves that they live lives that corresponds to the truth of their relationship with Christ and the truth upon which they bank their behavior. Next week, we'll look at what Paul is telling us about this word, truth. Father, 
May your word accomplish your purpose for its giving this morning. Oh God, help us to examine to see whether we really believe the truth or we're making up our truth about the truth. I pray that you will help me not only to, to preach it, but to live it. And to live it that no one will be able to question it. And that, Father, as we go to our workplace tomorrow, people will, will see the difference the truth makes in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.